It's 6 a.m. Jason just got home from work and and left us this voicemail. I just got home from work. I work at the local newspaper in Asheville, North Carolina. Sitting around, reading Twitter, watching the news, having uh, what I call dinner, and uh, winding down for the day. Feel pretty good. Bye. Well, it sounds like Jason's ready. we got about five minutes before the show starts. We, we got everything we need. The only thing we need uh, that we don't have is a dead body. And uh, a couple of uh, helmets. But mostly the dead body. Uh, we'll get it together and start up after the news. They'll never make it past the walkers. This is How to Do Everything. And what you're hearing right now is a scene from The Walking Dead. Which is a show about zombies. Everybody knows that. They're drawn by sound, right? Right, like dogs. They hear sound, they come. What else? Aside from they hear you, they see you, smell you, and if they catch you, they eat you. They can tell us by smell? Can't you? They smell dead, we don't. It's pretty distinct. Bad ideas were an Olympic event. This would take the gold. So, so if it's not clear, the, the humans have basically figured out the way to make it through this huge horde of zombies is to cover themselves with uh, guts from a dead person. They're basically camouflaging themselves with the smell of death so that the zombies won't want to eat them. Do we smell like them? Oh, yeah. Now, when, when we saw this scene... Speaking for myself, my reaction, I just kind of wanted to throw up. I was hungry. Rachelle Burks is a chemist with the American Chemical Society. So, Rachelle, you you had a, a different reaction, right? Well, like a lot of chemists, I look at processes and I say, yeah, there's got to be an easier way. And my thinking is, hmm, there's a cleaner way. There's a way that doesn't involve actually exposing yourself to biological fluids. And I'm also thinking... If you're scaling up, right, this is, this is a one batch. They're doing a one-time thing there. There but are only so many guts. There's only so many guts. Right. But if you're scaling up for a worldwide zombie pandemic, which I think we can all agree is not only terrifying, but would be, in fact, a worldwide event, mm-hmm. you'd want to actually scale it up, make it industrial, right? So in order to do that, you, you've got to come up with alternatives than having, you know, warehouses full of stacks of corpses. Sure. And you can do that with, with these chemicals, and there are lots of stinky chemicals you can choose from. And two of them, of, of course, are polyamines called cadaverine and putrescine, and they smell exactly like their Wait, name. cadaverine? Cadaverine and putrescine. We make them when, when we start, you know, when we're no longer on this living mortal coil, and our proteins start breaking down, some of the chemicals we make, two of them are called cadaverine and putrescine. Now, we named them that because they smell really bad. Um, And so everything that has proteins is going to break down and and make these stinky things. We also make a couple sulfur-containing compounds that smell like boiling cabbage or rotten eggs. Wow. So wait, those are all distinct Odors. Putrescine oh, yeah. smells differently than cadaver. A little bit different, yeah. They're, they're only one carbon and two hydrogen length difference, but I, I think human beings might have a little bit tricky time distinguishing them, but they're also used to train what are called human remain dogs. Oh, yeah, sure. And so, you know, dogs are much better at distinguishing scents than we are. And so, you know, these chemicals have, a, you know, a use. We use them to train you know, these specialty dogs, and hey, if you can, if you can fool a dog, you're on to the right track. Oh, huh, yeah. Can I, th- I don't know if this is a, a question that 
you know the answer to, but is so these these chemicals, cadaverine, putrescine, and the the sulfur compounds, do they do they smell gross to us because there is something intrinsic to them that is gross, or is it because they reference death to us that they always mean death, and so you know we have this emotional connection that that gives us this gross feeling. I think it might be a combination of both because, you know, a lot of smells are very associated with certain things. And so, you know, there's a lot of psychology behind it. You have, you know, for a lot of people, they they like the smell of baked bread. Like it's comforting. There's kind of a comfort food aspect. But the other thing about, you know, putrescine, cadaverine, and similar type chemicals is it really is a good kind of warning mechanism, right? If you smell rotting decay, for human beings at least, that's usually not associated with anything good. Right? So it could be, you know, yeah. you know, black plague or, you know, something like, or, you know, something like that. So it's, you know, it's usually not good stuff is associated with that. It could be an evolutionary thing. Um, we have a lot of, you know, receptors. So we, we can actually smell quite a bit of stuff, but I think the the feelings that we associate with those smells is really based on our own personal experience and, of course, a bit of biology. Well, is there is there any wisdom then, then kind of, you know, with that in mind, creating a cologne that is like a living cologne that you could use to fool zombies to kind of bait them in another direction while you get away? Ooh, that would be tricky. I think um, we study, the reason why I think decomposition um, volatiles and, and just stinky chemicals are really well characterized is because we study them for a lot of forensic purposes like, you know, identifying clandestine graves or training um, retrieval dogs. And so the opposite then is of finding living people, y- usually you can just be like, hey, are you down there? Uh, so it's a little <laughs> yeah. bit, you know, the, the kind of mapping that is a little bit different. Um, and so you, maybe you can use fresh linen scent, which seems to be everywhere. Yeah, fresh towels. You know, Febreze. Now Febreze will have a totally different uh, mode. You can just use it to lure zombies. Hey, smells too clean. Let's go over here. All right. Well, Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. We've all had a tense conversation from time to time. What are you talking about? An argument. What are you talking about? Maybe uh, with a lover or a friend. Really? It can be a a hard thing to end that conversation. Our friend Brian Babylon has come up with a strategy. Uh, Well, actually, I heard this actually tried on the train. Like, uh, some people were arguing. Somebody said something. You weren't here. Blah, blah, blah. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And then they were arguing. And then... They got to Indiana Street, which was 40th, and then he said, oh, hey, J&J's is on 43rd. We should stop and get some shrimp. And then she thought, she was like, yeah, we should. And then, then they kind of started talking about something else, but that intense argument was done. Right. So my theory is if you have, like, a serious conversation with somebody or things get really tense, if you're talking about money or breakup or something real dramatic, if you always end the conversation with, hey, so do you want some seafood? That makes things better. Wait, so, okay, so give me an example. How does, how does that work? All right, like, if you're breaking up with your girlfriend or something like that, you're like, listen, we need to see other people. I'm sorry this is not working out, but, hey, we can still be friends. Hey, you want some seafood? 
so but the, so the basic premise is that uh, you're you're kind of in this tense stressful state and then the seafood it's just it's random so it throws them off yes it throws them off it's sort of like a uh, distractionary tactic but it's but it's also a treat because if you love if you like seafood you love seafood right. and, and you want to go get seafood right then no right at the end of the day and you you're sitting with a empty basket that used to be fried shrimp whatever problems you did have with that person probably is 50% less dramatic after you've talked it over over some type of fried seafood Hey, Clara, what can we help you with? Um, okay, so it's, it's a challenging thing when you're driving and then you suddenly have to sneeze and you're panicking because you feel like if you take your hands off the wheel, then you're going to swerve and then you're going to kill everybody in the car. It, it's the worst. You, yeah, I mean, you can't sneeze without uh, closing your eyes and you need to oh, keep your eyes on the road. Mm-hmm. Well, so, Clara, what have, what have you been doing? Um, so what I've been doing is I've just been gripping the wheel really, really tight and trying to hold my sneeze in as much as possible. Right. <laughs> it works, uh-huh. but there's still the fear. So have any of your friends, uh, have they you know, come to bad ends because they've been sneezing and driving? No, they usually have the same panic as I do because we're driving 15 passenger vans because we're in AmeriCorps. Oh. Um, yeah. so you have I a lot of that, lives in your hands. My, my friend Thomas actually was driving the other day, and he just suddenly goes, oh, God. <laughs> Mm. And we were like, what? And he says, I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> and we're all just sitting there waiting, waiting for the moment where we either live or die. Well, yeah. it is just by the seat of your pants for you guys every day. Absolutely, yeah. That, that is, it, it's rare in life that we get an opportunity where there's a little span of time in which to, you know, contemplate our our mortality. Did, right. Yeah, so what do you what do you think about in those in those few seconds when you don't know if you're going to live or die? Well, I mean, in those in those few seconds, I wasn't really thinking. I was just like thinking of everything to try and stop the sneeze, and I was yelling like grapefruit and um, watermelon because I uh, couldn't remember what fruit it was. Wait, what? If you say it, um, I heard when I was a kid that if you say grapefruit, it'll stop someone from sneezing. Really? And so, yeah. <laughs> any any particular weird, reason why? I'm not sure. It worked for me a couple times, but no, it didn't. I mean, when I was little. Okay. You know, I also heard, I remember as a kid, I heard that if you held your eyes open when you sneezed, that your eyeballs would fly out. Are you familiar with this uh, theory? I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've also heard that if you try to hold in a sneeze too much, then your brain might explode. But that's a little far-fetched. Wow. It all sounds, yeah. We We should look into all those questions, though, just to be sure. All right, we're going to look into this, and uh, we'll try and get you an answer. Okay, great. Thanks great, so much. Grapefruit. Really, I, th- I think the best possible person to uh, address this w- is a NASCAR driver. Yeah, driving professionals who are driving in extreme situations. Matt Kenseth is a NASCAR driver. Matt, you got any advice for Clara? Well, I've never had that happen um, <laughs> to me in a race car before. And with a full face helmet, I couldn't really put my finger under my nose. So I guess I would just sneeze. Just go for it. I mean, I don't. Can you think of something different to do? I don't. I don't know what I could do about it. 
I mean, you have must have all this experience in the car going super fast. Uh, have you ever had a distraction? Anything happened where, like, I don't know, you get a cramp in your leg and there's just nothing you can do? Oh yeah, yeah. I've um, I, I don't really anymore because I make sure I stay hydrated, drink plenty of Gatorade and all that kind of stuff. But I've had a cramp before. One time I was under a yellow flag, grabbing my leg bottle, I had to put my leg up on a task. I had a Charlie horse that couldn't get it worked out. Wow. Wait, so what happened to your car then? Did you slow down or were you able to kind of keep moving? Yeah, I ran slow. I just had to use my left foot for the gas. It was under caution, so it wasn't bad. Well, uh, spe- speaking of Gatorade, what happens when you have to pee during a race? Oh, that's easy. Um, they usually have uh, one porta john in the middle of the back stretch on the infield, so it's hard to see from the grandstand side. And the cars will pull down the back stretch and stop, and we're really we're all really good at it. So we'll get out, run there, go to the bathroom, usually put a little hand sanitizer on, throw our gloves on, run back in the car, get in. And a lot of times, if it's under yellow, you won't even really see us lose the position. Then we'll just come in and fit, and everything's back to normal. You're telling me that in the heat of a race, you still take time to, to get the hand sanitizer. Oh, yeah, of course. Unless you leave your racing gloves on, they don't really worry about it. Yeah. Ugh. Can I ask you, when you're out uh, with your friends who aren't, who aren't drivers, and somebody else is driving, do, are they so nervous that, that you're going to be judging their uh, their ability? Uh, typically when I go out, I don't let anybody else drive. Okay. I, uh, I, I, always, um, I always like to drive. I'm kind of a control freak, maybe somewhat. So Does, uh, your, does your wife so ever drive? My wife, yeah, once in a while. We've been together for a long time. But she doesn't really enjoy it because I think she feels like she's um, being evaluated, which i got to be honest, she is. <laughs> so, so she doesn't enjoy driving that much when I'm with. Well, thanks for your time today, Matt. Hey, no problem at all. I actually just um, I'm driving down the road here, and while I was talking to you guys, I wasn't distracted. I was driving, and a rock just flew up a semi and broke my windshield. No. Yeah. Seriously? Where? Yeah. Wait, so while we were talking just now, uh, a rock flew up and hit your windshield. I heard no reaction from you. Yeah. Maybe we should just play it safe and end this call now. Might be safer before something really bad happens. I just clouded up. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, be safe out there, Matt. All right, guys. I appreciate it. You know what? We should let's call Matt's teammate, David Reagan. And I, I think the lesson here is if you uh, are on the phone while driving, a rock is going to smash your windshield. So, uh, David, mid-race sneezing. This ever happened to you? You know, sometimes it does, and I have not had a situation where you, you've been you know, having to sneeze, or sometimes you, you do feel it coming, and you can concentrate into the last minute, you know, a sneeze is a split second, and, and, and then you're, you're about your business. I, I have had carbon monoxide poisoning uh, inside a race car before, and I uh, very nauseated and started to throw up, and, uh, you know, I, I vomited several times in my helmet, and, you know, opened the shield, Whoa. and it, it's very distracting. Under green, <laughs> it happened in, in Montreal, Canada, uh, a few years ago, and it was... Uh, very, very difficult to, to block that out, especially after uh, you, you, you've thrown up and you can't breathe and it's hot, but you yeah. find a way to keep, you block that stuff out and you just keep going. Wait, <laughs> so how, how fast were you going when you were vomiting in your helmet? You know, uh, probably 160, 170 <laughs> wow. maybe. And you kept going. You kept on, kept on going and finished the race. All right, David. Well, hopefully uh, Clara will take this and uh, we'll solve her sneezing concerns. Yeah, well, good luck, Claire. Try to try to get mentally tough and not think about it. Maybe uh, maybe everything will be okay. Well, it's, at least she probably won't be barfing through a helmet. Yeah, so it could be worse. It could always <laughs> be worse. You know what? I still feel like we haven't uh, helped 
Clara, let's address kind of her sneezing concerns with a medical professional. Peter Leckman is a doctor here in Chicago. So, Dr. Leckman, first thing, a lot of people have heard uh, that when you sneeze, if you don't close your eyes, they will pop out of your head. Is this true? You know, it's a it's a great idea, and I'd love to see it happen. But if you think about it, none of us has ever seen anyone with eyeballs shooting out. So unfortunately or fortunately, it cannot happen. So it's a total myth. It's now, physically impossible? Physically impossible. Is that because your eyes cannot stay open or because uh, if they were to stay open, your eyeballs would remain in your head? Uh, they would remain in your head. So it's actually possible to sneeze with your eyes open. You would probably have to prop your eyes open with your hands. Uh, there are a few people out there who are innervated differently who don't close their eyes entirely due to some uh, an accident or due to an accident of birth, and their eyes will stay open too. But the eyelids don't have, they don't play a role in keeping your eyeballs in. Your eyeballs are connected to six different muscles, the extraocular muscles that move your eyes around. So they're the ones that let your eyes go side to side, up and down, and so forth. And those are strong muscles, and they will keep your eyeball in. All right, well, here's another question then. It, what if you don't sneeze? Your body wants to sneeze. You hold the sneeze in. Will your brain explode? That is a great question. So the answer is no and maybe a little bit yes. So when you sneeze, the force of a sneeze, as far as I've been able to, to ascertain, comes out at a, at a uh, speed of about 100 miles an hour, about 160 kilometers an hour. So that's so a the fin- snot is moving 100 miles an hour. Snot is moving 100 miles an hour. Snot and saliva and a, and a big chunk of air. So if you force yourself to not open your mouth and not allow yourself to sneeze, you've got this bolus of air, this chunk of air moving at 100 and plus miles an hour, and it's got nowhere to go. And it puts a lot of pressure on structures inside of the head, in the head and neck area. And you can actually push uh, air into your eye sockets because the bones, are, it's paper thin, and you can actually rupture that, and you can get air behind your eyeball. You can actually push air up into the cavity where your brain resides and you can get um, you can get a pocket of air in there. So your brain probably won't blow up in the cool way we'd all like to see it blow up. Yeah. But you can actually do some damage to your uh, to your being a little bit. Um, so, OK, so one more thing. Clara, uh, as you heard, believes uh, that if someone else is about to sneeze and you say to them the word grapefruit. So someone's about to sneeze. You say grapefruit. That will keep them from sneezing. Any any possible explanation for this? You know, so I did actually uh, do a little research on that. And it turns out that you one of the proposed ways to stop a sneeze is to have someone say something entirely absurd to you. So if you see someone who's going to sneeze and you say something entirely absurd, you might be able to somehow kind of gets the brain to forget that it was about to sneeze and it stops. So the example that was given, I don't think I can say it in polite company, but the phrase was, wow, seriously, don't be a feminine hygiene product canoe. <laughs> okay. and the, and this, I found this in print. And that is such an absurd set of words that it'll cause you to, it could cause you to uh, think about that and consequently stop the, the uh, reflex to sneeze. So basically, like, there, there's, a, there's a, you know, mental component that... There's a mental component. So there's a modicum of, of truth in a statement like that. Grapefruit sounds like a pretty non bizarre enough word to do that. But if someone said something that caused you to sort of stop and think, you might stop uh, the sneeze from happening. Well, let's let's assume that uh, 
you know, I, it probably works out that someone listening right now is driving their car, <laughs> might have to sneeze, and we can maybe break the, the sneeze cycle by, you know, using a grapefruit-like phrase or a phrase like yours. So do you want to say something to any driver to possibly save a life right now? Fuzzy p- Thank you, Dr. Lechman. That's my medical advice. You know, uh, you might have a sneezing-related question. You might have an anything-else-related question. We're here for you. Whatever it is you need, send us your questions at howto at npr.org. Or give us a call at 1-800-GAG-AX-5. Gag like it's spelled. Axe like the tool. With an E. And five, uh, which is my sleep number. We got an email from Mary. She says she listens to How to Do Everything while testing cow blood. Mary, these next 15 seconds are for you. Mary, if uh, if the cows faint when you uh, take their blood, uh, give them some. Just give them some orange juice. Try and try and talk to them about how you know it happens to every cow. Yeah, you can just lay them down, maybe. Put a little pillow out there. They're going to get woozy. And usually I think they like a cookie. Just give them a cookie to get their blood sugar back up. That does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? Well, I learned that one of the things that can happen uh, during a NASCAR race is you can vomit in your helmet. It does, it does seem like kind of all of life is, is happening in those cars. To, to us, it looks like a bunch of cars driving around in a circle, but no, there's, um, you know, vomiting in the mm-hmm. helmet. There's uh, Charlie horses. Uh, there's people giving birth, I'm sure. I think that's where uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was born. I, I learned that uh, dead bodies give off a chemical called cadaverine. And putrescine. Yeah. You know, I, I, I actually, I think my uh, my grandpa smells like grampine. I learned that it's true that your brain could actually explode in a very small way if you hold in a sneeze. It's not exactly what he said. Pretty sure that's what he said, that you could blow out the back uh, bones of your eyes, which could then release air into your brain, which would then cause it to jostle around, which is basically like an explosion. You want to go get some seafood? How to Do Everything is produced by Stephen Tobias with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Judd Jennerjohn. Just, just Judd? Yeah. Well, he was gone. He had jury duty with Judge Judy. Our artist in residence is Justin Witte. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian Chillog. And I'm Mike Danforth. This is NPR.